Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Rizzi. I'm the host of the show where I get to interview Olympic athletes on their story and path to the games today. Very incredible guest, two-time Olympian Sadie Bjornsson. Sadie is a cross-country skier. She has some incredible stories, so I'm super happy that we got the, the opportunity to talk to her. And she really does um, kind of let us in on really what cross-country is like, what it was like growing up, and how she gets ready every single year. And it's it's a pretty intense schedule, I can't lie to you. So it's very cool. So if you guys don't mind, please just keep listening. And Sadie should take, well, I'll take it away, and then Sadie will start talking. So thanks. All right, today, special guest, two-time Olympian, Sadie Bjornsson of USA Skiing Cross Country. Sadie was born November 21st in 1989 in Omak, Washington. She started skiing at the age of six and started cross-country skiing at the age of six. So I guess, um, you know, you like going far, I guess. You like the pain, the pleasure, whatever you like to call it. She's been doing it for a while now. She attended and graduated from Alaska Pacific University. Um, actually, I forgot to ask, when was that? Uh, in 2015, and I'm now currently working on my master's in business. Oh, there. same school. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> we're pretty soon we're going to call her Master Sadie Bjornson. I love it. Um, so as we said, obviously graduated and continued to go to school there. She competed at the World Cup since 2011, has five individual podiums at the World Cup, 14 podiums, and even got a bronze medal at World championships in 2017 sadie as i said is a two-time olympian she represented us in the 2014 and the 2018 game sadie thanks for hanging out with us today i appreciate it yeah i'm excited to uh share some stories with you love it that's the best one i love when people share all their fun stories it's usually uh it usually goes a little bit better that way so if you don't mind sadie uh take us back Take us back to the beginning. What was it like growing up in Omak, Washington? First, as I told you before, I only know three places in Washington. So geographically, where is Omak and what is it like growing up there? Um, so I grew up in the Metha Valley, actually in the tiny, tiny little town of Mazama, Washington. Okay. And it's pretty far north. It's very different than Seattle, um, very different than Spokane, the two opposite sides. Uh, it's kind of situated in the heart of the mountains and we get tons of snow and there are cross-country kilometers all around us. In fact, the Metha Valley is actually the largest cross-country ski resort in the United States. Oh, so we have over 100 kilometers of groom trails that intertwine through the mountains and across the valley. Um, and it's, it's definitely a very small town. Um, when you drive over the North Cascade Highways, so over the mountains from Seattle, you kind of are spit out in this tiny little valley. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's like a Western theme there, uh, which is always really fun for people, for people to come visit in the summertime and provide some entertainment. Um, but it is what I still consider it one of the most beautiful places in the world, despite the fact I grew up, because you don't always love the place mm. you grew up, but I personally do. <laughs> love it. Yeah, so many people. I grew up in a nice place. It's kind of boring. It's just a suburb. So, I mean, I like it, but it is what it is, right? But that is really cool. Something tells me you've been asked that question before, because that sounded not scripted, but very well thought out. So I'm really glad about that. And hopefully a couple more people will go hang out there. It sounds like it's a pretty cool place. As you said, largest um, cross-country ski resort in the world. Was that? Did I say that correctly? So that yeah. is phenomenal. So very cool. And it kind of makes sense that you started cross-country skiing. So I guess tell us about, I mean, age six, you strap it on and strap on the skis and you just start rolling. So tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in a family of three. I have a younger brother who's also on the national team and the, was at the past two Olympics with me. And then I have an older sister who's just a year and a half older. So competition was certainly something that came with our family. As you could imagine, three young kids, everything is the competition between who can run to the car the fastest, mm -hmm. 
who can eat the biggest plate of food. Um, you know, everything was just kind of a race without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and cross country skiing was not something that our family had done before. My parents both did alpine skiing and a little bit of backcountry skiing, but my mom, she grew up in Minnesota where she wasn't skiing and my father grew up in Seattle. And so he kind of introduced her to the world of skiing. Um, but cross country skiing was fun because it was a new thing for our entire family. Uh, because the trails are right out the back door, it kind of was something that was natural. Um, one of the funniest stories that my mom always tells is that when we were at a young age, we were both alpine skiing and Nordic skiing. And one night we took a vote in our family because it was just a bit too much to try to do both, whether we wanted to alpine ski or Nordic. Um, it turns out my sister, my brother, my father and I all voted alpine skiing and she voted Nordic. So mom vote ruled. And that is how we ended up in Nordic. <laughs> that is too funny. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mom, mom's vote is usually the most important vote. If we're being honest, I didn't realize yeah. it was more important than everyone else in the family, but I mean, <laughs> it makes sense. And whatever, happy mom, happy life, happy wife, happy life. So it, it makes sense. And, and it was the right decision. So uh, yes. let's all remember that. So that's pretty funny too. <laughs> You, as you said, your, your brother has been at uh, the last two Olympics as well with you. Um, yeah. Your older sister, how, is she just angry at you guys all the time? Or no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course, I'm sure there's a lot of love there and a lot of uh, shared wealth. But when you say out the door, do you legitimately, like there was no car ride? It was just, hey, go? Yep. So legitimately, we put our skis on outside of our garage door. Um, that being said, in order to get to the cross country ski trails, we had to ski somewhere around 30 minutes straight uphill. Um, oh, we groomed both ways, my, of course, right? Yep, exactly. Um, my father groomed it with a snowmobile track. It was my mom's running trail. So um, kind of, if you think about that, that means my mom's kind of a, she's hardcore. Yeah, wow. Because <laughs> she too was running up the hill. Um, anyway, so yeah, we would ski out the door, head uphill for 30 minutes and then get onto the ski tracks and um, I guess that's where I developed my uh, love for skiing uphill, so mm-hmm. to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was so easy. You could just go out the door and be having fun right away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I clearly, you know, obviously, again, growing up out here on the East Coast in suburban New Jersey, I mean, the easiest one was basketball for us, you know, like, yeah. there was a hoop on someone's in someone's driveway at the end of a street that everyone and that kind of sounds like it was your, the analogy to that. It was just, hey, like, hey, what are you doing? Well, I don't know, let's go ski. So that is pretty yeah. cool. And yeah, good for your mom. 30 minutes on skis, I don't think equates to 30 minutes running. And she's just going straight uphill. That is very impressive. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> impressive on your mom's part. She said, very amazing woman. That is phenomenal. So, Sadie, if you don't mind, as I told you before, a couple cross-country skiers I've already had the pleasure of getting to talk to. Um, if you don't mind just giving us a rundown of cross-country skiing, I guess. Um, I know there's some distances. There's a couple different formats, maybe. Mass start, individual, a couple different styles. So if you don't mind just giving us a nice, let's call it, four or five-minute rundown of the sport and everything I guess you love about it, too. Yeah, so cross-country skiing kind of comes in two forms. You have the traditional classic skiing that is the motion like running. Um, And then you have the skate technique, which is more similar to hockey or ice skating. but with pools in your hands. Uh, So there's two types of, so you have skating classic, and then you also have a huge variety of lengths. So our shortest races are sprint races, which are generally uh, one and a half kilometers, which takes us about four minutes to go on the track with. Um, And then our longest races are 30 kilometers, which 
generally takes us around an hour and a half or so. So as you can imagine, the difference between four minutes and an hour and a half is very different as far as training and muscle fibers and mental game and stuff. Um, so you have that spectrum and then you also have individual races as well as mass start races. So some races you'll have 90 people starting at the same time on a start line and it's only five lanes wide. So it can be kind of chaotic and provide a very good entertainment. Um, and then we have the more traditional uh, individual start races where you have somebody going out every 30 minutes. And with the individual start races, it's really hard to tell where you are in relation to other skiers. So that's what I consider more of a you versus you kind of race. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a different mental game to race that versus racing a mass start where you know exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we have a variety of races. I think at the Olympic games last year, there were six different, um, individual races. So there is definitely a variety of, um, lengths and styles that we're training for. A lot of cross country skiers will have favorite distances or disciplines. Um, that's something that I kind of consider unique to myself and the fact that I, don't really have a favorite. I love 30 kilometers racing as much as I love one and a half kilometers of racing. And um, I grew up liking classic more than skating, but I have really been working on my relationship with skating the last couple of years. And I am happy to say that we have formed a wonderful relationship. And I would say that we're equal between skating and classic. Oh my goodness. <laughs> happy for you. Look at that. See? Yeah. So um, yeah, it's quite a spectrum. And Definitely, I love the challenge of individual racing and the fact that you don't know where people are going. And so I personally prefer individual start races. I have always loved kind of racing myself and um, testing my own limits of what, you know, what what you can debate with the voice in your head, with, uh, you know? Uh, uh, oof. And so, yeah, those are, that's kind of the whole the whole variety of everything. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. I always love hearing about, again, the, a lot of these sports and, and we'll get to in a minute. I mean, some of these sports are gigantic in other places around the world where here in America, it's literally once every four years, I see it for maybe an hour on NBC, like yeah. on a Tuesday at like 10 o'clock at night. And then that's about it. Then it's gone. So it's always interesting. You know, it's always great to hear a little bit more about these. So um, congratulations to you and skating. Very happy for the two of you. That's fantastic. <laughs> I wonder how classical feels, but I'm sure it's going to be okay. Um, but no, seriously, that is that is great. And yeah, it does sound very unique to you. So at the Olympics, oh no, we'll get to the Olympics. Never mind. Um, first, let's get into the World Cup. So in 2011, uh, you competed at your first World Cup, correct? Yes. And so what was it like um, going abroad? Was this your first international competition or were, did you have more before that? So it was. You're shaking your no, head. People no, it wasn't. Actually, All never right. mind. It wasn't. Take it back. <laughs> Take it back. So what, what was it like, I mean, getting onto that big of a stage? That was probably the biggest stage you were ever on, right? So I guess just tell us about your World Cup experience, especially in the beginning, and how yeah. that helped you really formulate and shape yourself moving forward. Um, well, so my very first international experience was actually when I was 16 years old and I went to World Junior Championships. So racing the world, but at a younger level. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember the very first experience, I just looked around and I was so intimidated by how fast everybody and how strong everyone looked. And I remember pulling my glasses down over my eyes and just having kind of a silent cry because I was so terrified. And that was kind of the turning point. That was the bottom. I was like, okay, you can only go up from here. Mm -hmm. So when I went to my very first World Cup in 2011, I had the exact same 
experience. I was ranked very last in the field. And I just thought to myself, wow, these people are incredible. This is who I've been watching on TV forever. And here I am seeing them in person. Um, and so it was just really empowering in that way. But I also felt no pressure at the same time. I mean, I was ranked last in the field. Like, you can't get any worse than that. <laughs> the worst you could get is the exact same you started. So I actually ended up having you know, so much fun because that first race was in Norway and with, with a Norwegian last name, everybody was cheering for me as if I was Norwegian. And right away I thought, wow, this sport is really cool. And especially in Norway, because you are like the football player of the United States. Everyone knows who you are. They're chanting your name when you're going by. And here I was thinking I was getting last place and they're still chanting my name. Like this is incredible. Um, so right away I was hooked and I just knew I, I wanted to participate and one day I wanted to be the best at this sport, you know. That is so, so cool. Yeah, I love how, um, yeah, Norway is your first event and your first international competition and lo and behold, look at your last name. I'm going to butcher it <laughs> later, but I mean, that's just, so, that is super cool and people cheering, cheering for you. I mean, you're 16 years old and I've been told, what, like 100,000 people, 80,000 people show up to these kinds of events in Norway? Yeah. That's just, that's nuts. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a whole football stadium and they're just aligning lining this track, just screaming your name the whole time. You're 16, yeah. man. Yeah. Like I, I can't deal with three people screaming my name at once. I don't know how you did it with 80,000, but that <laughs> is just super cool. And so, so from there you then eventually make it onto the world cup stage. So you're a little, little more seasons at this point, a little older, a little wiser. Um, what was it like really getting into the whole world cup circuit and understanding that you are one of the best in the world. I mean, obviously you have further to go, but being there and understanding and competing against these people, how did you take that in stride um, and really, and really run with it? Um, yeah. So certainly at the beginning, the world cup was kind of this um, mystery, you know, it felt like a traveling circus. Uh, there was the same people you were racing weekend after weekend. And I just felt like, you know, I finished my first race and I was like, but I went as fast as I could. How did I not even make top 30? And it seemed so startling, the gap. Mm -hmm. um, and as years went on, I started getting closer and closer to the top. I definitely, you know, one of the big things that, one of the largest hurdles of World Cup racing is accepting and believing that you belong. Um, standing on the start line can be really intimidating depending on who you're standing next to or maybe the size of their muscles or you know whatever it is there's definitely the intimidation factor that goes on um i think over these last couple of years as i have started becoming more familiar with the circuit i've started to see why i belong there and why i am able to stay on the start line and you know maybe fight for the win that day um Part of doing that is being comfortable with the traveling style. We leave home on November 10th this year and don't return home until March, end of March. So that is somewhere around five months on the road that you're living mm -hmm. out of a suitcase and you're, you know, traveling weekend to weekend to a new hotel room and everything. And it definitely can be really taxing and sometimes make you super homesick depending on how well you're racing. Um, and so that is kind of like something you have to tackle in and of itself. Um, these last couple of years, I feel like I have finally started to have things click in the fact that I find comfort in waking up and having a different style breakfast every morning and mm -hmm. maybe having mystery meat at nighttime. All these little uh -huh. details that used to kind of make me homesick or intimidated are now becoming sort of home to me. Um, so it's been really cool to transform. Last season, I actually finished the World Cup season ranked sixth, sixth 
overall, which was a huge achievement for me. Just thinking back to, you know, six years ago when I showed up and was so scared to even stand on the start line behind these enormous names like Mart Bjorgen or um, Justina Kowalczyk. It was so intimidating. And here I am now, six years later, finishing and believing that I can beat them on any given day, which is just this amazing transformation and so exciting. And I honestly, I can't wait to see what the next step is. <laughs> Only a couple more days. I mean, this is probably going to air a little after you start. So hopefully, hopefully you'll already have a couple wins under your, your, uh, your belt. So yeah. Well, I've actually never, I've never won a world cup before and that is well, actually my goal this season. Yeah. So that, that's why I you're on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're good luck. Don't worry. We're good luck. You'll be just fine. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. But getting to that point, you've won five podiums, individual podiums. You've been on the podium five times now at the World Cup, um, mm-hmm. including a bronze at World Championships. So it's clearly, you know, as, as you said, you know, a few years ago when you were afraid to even get to the starting line, now you're not afraid to get there, uh, to get to the finish line um, as one of the fastest. Um, what, what was, what's that like? Like, I mean, what's it now like understanding? I mean, six in the world. Um, the World Cup rankings, that's incredible. Third at World Championships uh, with the bronze medal. I mean, do you you kind of have to go in with some gusto now, right? Now you have to kind of go in with that. Um, you know, how do you deal with the ego slash humble and make sure you're not kind of, you're, you're towing the line and not really getting too cocky or confident in yourself? Well, confidence is good, but too cocky. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I discovered pretty early on is that your best races, when you think back on them, they always feel easy to you. Um, and what I realized pretty quickly is that is kind of your mind's way of encouraging you. You think it makes it feel easy so that you can do it again. But one thing that you also have to learn with that is, oh my gosh, it was not easy. Like Mm -hmm. getting up that hill, getting that medal, like the feeling was one of the hardest feelings in the world. So it's kind of this like balance of having confidence that you can achieve that level of pain cave again. And also not being afraid of the pain cave, knowing that it, it is easy to go there. That's what we practice every single day. Um, but it's a matter of really accepting and allowing yourself to go there. Um, so we're training somewhere around 800 to 900 hours a year, just preparing ourselves to be at this level. You know, we are, we're putting in hour after hour in the summer, maybe in Alaska, a lot of times in the pouring rain, and it's just super windy and unpleasant but you are really putting your brain in that place to fight no matter what. Um, So showing up on the start line, of course, we're going to have expectations when we've had success before, but nothing is a given. Even if you won the day before, that doesn't give you the right to win the next day. Every single day you are showing up with the best in the world who have done the best preparation for maybe the last 15 years of your life of their life. And so you're competing against some pretty darn tough mentally people. Um, So you just have to, you know, find some belief, some belief in the fact that you belong there, but also knowing that you can never take anything for granted. Every single second in the race matters and every single millisecond really does as well. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tenth of a second, hundredth of a second. We're getting down there in some of these races. It's very incredible. 900 hours a year training. I mean, what, what is training? I assume you're not just skiing all the time, right? So what, (laughs) Maybe don't maybe don't give us the the daily breakdown, but like what exactly does training for cross country entail? Like if you're doing one of the longer races, I assume you're skiing for even longer than that, right? Like to keep your endurance higher. So just tell us a little bit about what your training uh, looks like. So a lot of our training in the summertime is made up of running, um, 
biking. I do a lot of swimming because I have kind of a swimming background and then roller skiing. So roller skiing is basically like rollerblading, um, except for it's a bit of a longer ski so that we can do both the skate and classic techniques. And then we have some poles that have super sharp edges so they stick into the pavement. Um, we are actually really lucky in Alaska in the fact that we have a glacier that we can chain off of in the summertime. So we just drive 40 minutes, we jump on a helicopter, 10 minute helicopter ride up to the facility. And um, we have like a little bunk room up there. So we'll spend a week at a time training basically all day long and, and eat, sleep, train. That's all you do. Um, we don't have great cell phone reception up there. We have no distractions. We're just super focused. Um, and so we generally do that three weeks of the summertime, which makes it really nice to kind of connect our summer training with what it actually feels like on skis. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in the winter months, we are mostly just doing skiing and running and um, we are doing strength training all year round as well to mm -hmm. kind of keep up the power. Our sport is becoming very power dominant. So we are having to spend a little bit more time in the weight room than maybe years past, which is a fun new twist. <laughs> It's always fun to break it up a little bit. I like how you tell it's it's just a forty minute car ride and then a, oh just just a ten minute helicopter ride. Nothing crazy <laughs> on top of that. So that is too funny, but very cool. Thank you for um, giving us a little insight into that as well. So um, let's get to it. The twenty fourteen games. I mean, what's it? So if you don't mind actually explaining the qualification process, because I personally turn on the TV, I see someone in the red, white, and blue, and I'm going to root for them. Um, I don't know how you got there. I don't really know much about you. And that's why I started doing this. So if you don't mind kind of giving us a little bit of back uh, background into the qualification process and just explaining that so I can learn as well as the mm -hmm. audience members uh, can learn too. So the qualification for making cross country Olympics is a little bit challenging. Um, the first qualification has to do with World Cup racing. So if you're at the level of World Cup racing, then you have to achieve a certain level to make it from that point and mm -hmm. um, the next step down is making it from racing in the u.s so that is accumulation of a point system um, that's based off of all of your racing for the last basically year so your goal is to have the best points to qualify at that level um, so leading into the 2014 olympics i had been racing on the world cup some so i was trying to qualify that way um, i think at the time i had to be ranked maybe top 50 in the overall of everybody racing on the world cup um and it closed after the first two months of racing so i kind of had this this season half of the season leading into it to kind of show my level um and that's the season that i had my first top tens on the world cup so it was really exciting because i was achieving this whole new level on an olympic year and I was just so excited leading into the games. And so it, it kind of worked out. It worked out really well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for giving us um, a little extra insight into that. So then you made it to the games. You went. I mean, what was it like? 2014, we're in Sochi, you're in Russia. I'm sure you've been to Russia before with the World Cup and everything. But, you know, you're only three or four years into the World Cup. You started, as you said, started killing it on that front, um, qualified for the games, and you went. So but, uh, other than the actual competition itself, how did you take in the experience? What were you doing specifically to make sure? Because not everyone gets to go to more than one Olympics. Not everyone gets to go to a Olympics, let's be honest, mm -hmm. right? So what did you do to make sure that you actually enjoyed the games um, outside of the competition itself honestly i was just so thrilled to make the games i i think i forgot to even make goals once i got the games it was just i was on cloud nine 
that I was even going. I was just going there to live up the experience. Um, you know, I was 20, 22, 23, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was in school at the time. So I was, I was, you know, pretty busy and didn't really have a ton of time to really think of maybe the nerves that would come with it. Instead, I was just so thrilled to go there. Um, I remember going into uniforming and getting all of our uniform and just feeling like I literally was having Christmas, like the best Christmas ever. I'm like, uh -huh. oh my gosh, look at all this gear. And then I remember arriving there and coming into our bedroom and there were like gifts all over our bed and stuff. And I was like, did I die and land in heaven? Like, what is this place? And then you get this like little keychain to go up to any Coke machine and get like unlimited everything. Like you just push like Gatorade or Coke or whatever. You know, like everything was just so out of this world, different than any experience I had ever lived. It was just, it felt like I was literally having this most amazing Christmas ever. Um, and here I was at the Olympics, something I had dreamed of for my whole life. And it was like a million times better than I ever thought it could be. <laughs> That is fantastic. Yeah, having a key to walk out to any Coke machine and grab a Gatorade does sound, uh, that sounds pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. I, I wouldn't mind doing that. Um, so then what about the actual competition itself? Um, since you were on such a, a, as you said, a cloud nine, you know, Christmas, um, Christmas in February or whatever it was, what, um, how did you make sure to put that aside and focus when it came time to actually do the competition itself? Because I can see that being a huge kind of, um, misstep a uh, huge distraction along the yeah. way when knowing you're there to do one thing if we're being honest yeah um you know the first year like i or my first olympics i remember getting emails from uh some of my childhood coaches who were at the olympics themselves and saying now sadie don't absorb too much energy on like uniform day because it'll be really exciting but make sure you can serve because it's like a big experience and i remember kind of laughing at him like oh, yeah whatever get out of um, here yeah. And so I, I can't say that I succeeded at that. My first year, I just lived it all up and did everything I could and felt all the emotions. And, you know, when I stood on the start line for my first event, I was nervous out of this world, but so proud to have the stars and stripes on. It was like the, what it really meant hit me right there on the start line in my first event. Um, and, you know, I had been pretty sick going into the Olympics and didn't have the most ideal training. Um, so I didn't quite have the races I was dreaming of at the first Olympics but you know it really didn't bum me out because it was like I was there for the experience and I knew I was coming back and I knew I was coming back to win a medal that was going to be my goal um so it didn't stress me out I just I had tons of fun I ended up actually getting sick at the end of the Olympics and um it didn't even bother me I was just so happy where I was that it was just you know I was living this incredible moment I was in school at the time so I was pretty swamped going to class in the morning. And one time I actually literally went to class in the morning and then went and did my Olympic race, which was pretty funny. Um, you know, just the whole craziness of it all. And so it definitely provided for one of my fonder memories of my career and just the whole the whole excitement just absorbed me, you know? <laughs> that is, no, I don't know. And that's why I have to ask these <laughs> questions, right? No, that is just super, super cool. And uh, I like your mindset. I mean, you, as I said, not everybody gets to go to one, but you knew you were coming back. Um, and I really like that. And so you can um, just enjoy everything that this one has to give. And it's unfortunate. It wasn't your best race. It wasn't your best event. Sounds like you were a little sick and then you got sicker. 
towards the yeah. end. Um, but you know, I, I just hear opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies. It's all amazing. Every going to the into the city and hanging out and, and absorbing the culture, as well as being able to go and just see all the other athletes and meet all the other athletes and enjoy uh, their sports as well. So then, the 2018 games. Now I know you were doing things in between 2014 and 2018. Mm -hmm. What? Um, tell us a little bit about that time period in between and kind of how you use that momentum of the 2014 games over the next three or four years. Yeah. So I finished the 2014 Olympics and I just had more motivation than you could imagine. I knew I was going back for a medal. So I started, you know, chipping away at, sometimes it's hard to look at four years and figure out how to wrap your goals mm -hmm. around the steps and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I had tons of motivation. So I just, I jumped back into it and, um, you know, I, I gradually climbed and climbed and climbed the ladder and it's funny because when I think back to 2014, it was totally a dream. Like it is my dream to win a medal. And as every young kid makes a dream, they don't really know the process to get there. Mm -hmm. um, so through those like next several years, as I started having more and more success, I kind of had my, so I had my first individual podium the year before the Olympic year. And I think it was at that moment that I decided, you know, Winning a medal is no longer a dream, it's a goal. And I'm gonna get it. And mm -hmm. that's like kind of when I started forming this this is gonna be the process to get there. I'm gonna focus so hard for the next, you know, year. Not that I hadn't been doing that already, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I kind of just had this this uh confidence that I had never had before, which I knew was gonna bring me one more step. So that summer leading into the Olympics, I, you know, I made some little process goals for myself. I did things a little differently. I did one month where I had the highest intensity training. It was during August. I decided despite not being at a camp, I was going to make my summer, my month at home a camp. So mm -hmm. I didn't do anything else other than train, eat, sleep, train, recover. Um, you know, I made all those commitments and gave up a lot of things in a way that I knew that I was doing the 110% going into the Olympic year. Um, and so right away in that very first World Cup of the Olympic season, I finished second, got my first ever sprint podium. And it was in a classic sprint, the event that was at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And once again, I was like, this is no longer a dream. This is a goal I'm going for. Um, the following weekend, I, I got on the podium again in that same event, the one at the Olympics. And it just started getting super exciting. But when that happened, I also recognized, you know, this is not, this is going to mean that I'm going to go into the Olympics in a different place. I'm not mm -hmm. going to be able to go in there and just live it up like a kid. It meant that I had to focus this time. So I sort of started preparing myself for maybe some of the things that were going to come at me. For example, uniforming day. Keep your chill, Sadie. It's really exciting, but you can have so much fun with it like when you get home in the spring. Um, so I, I kind of made these goals, these little ideas of how to put my mind in the right place going into the games how to um, visualize you know not having any of those distractions maybe the bus schedule is going to get off you can't get affected by that or maybe like Korea is going to feel really different you know I was trying to be prepared for all these emotions and feelings that were going to come which was such an adjustment from Russia because in Russia I didn't even care what was coming I was just so thrilled like I was a kid and so I think what happened is between um, 2014 and 2018, I kind of, I turned into an adult and I turned into an athlete with goals, not just dreams. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so that's kind of the difference of how I approach this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry about the adult part, um, but I'm happy about <laughs> the athlete part. I think that the goal part is, is, is great. Um, I set goals for myself. And I mean, if everyone, you know, everyone should and figure out a way. I, I, it's interesting how you say like f- figuring out four years. I mean, that's a really long time. I mean, four years yeah. from now. I'll be 30. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. But you know, it's one of those things like, how do you like specifically work that out? So it sounds like you did a good job and it sounds like you got everything rolling on that front. So going into the 2018 games, tell us about the experience just like you did um, for the 2014 games, everything around it um, and how you dealt with all that. Cause it sounds like you were much more, um, let's say calm. Is calm a good word to use? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Conservative maybe. Yeah. There uh, we go. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was definitely, you know, there was a lot more media. I had never been associated with media before. Like I didn't know that anybody would want to talk to me. And so um, I kind of had to learn that I had to set some boundaries. Like, you know, I couldn't spend every single day answering all these exciting questions. Like I had to remain really focused on, on my, on my perfect training that day and remaining calm in my head. And um, that's, you know, I started working with a sports psychologist that was really helpful and um, we actually had some team meetings leading into the games because at, at the same time I had individual goals. I also had team goals. And for the first time, the U S women were showing up in a place to win medals in both individual as well as both of the, um, team events, which was so exciting. And it was cool to kind of bond as a team and work together on how we were going to approach maybe the pressure of it, but also like the real life goal of it, you know? Um, so it was really great to have teammates there to kind of keep us grounded a little bit and help us deal with the nerves and the combination of nerves and excitement. Um, and so I just tried to, you know, remain focused and, and kind of focus on the things that I could control and try to not let the, the uncontrollables affect me too much, you know, and try to just form this kind of this brick wall around me so that I was ready to show up to do what I, um, intended to. Mm-hmm. And then how did, how did that go? I mean, again, going into it, you had multiple podiums working up to that, to that time. So in your mind, um, you were going to win a medal, correct? Yeah. You were ready. So, to- you know, <laughs> yeah. So I showed up and I was in a great place and, um, the event that I was looking forward to individually the most, um, didn't go as planned. Like I said, there were going to be some uncontrollables, um, some of which were the snow conditions there. Um, they were extremely different than the snow that we had been racing on. And unfortunately, I did not really have quite the skis under my feet that I, I guess that I needed to, to make that goal. Um, and so that was a little bit hard. But, you know, I had to just kind of swallow it and know I have done everything that I can to do to achieve this goal and some of the things I'm not going to be able to control and I can't let those absorb me and there are more events coming. And so um, the next couple events, it was kind of a similar thing. They didn't necessarily go as I dreamed Um, kind of midway through the games. I had like a point that I had to think about, okay, how to, how to remain happy through the process because I hadn't yet achieved what I wanted. Um, and it's funny because I had this skate race and as you said, or as I spoke about at the beginning, I've been working on my relationship with skating. Um, and I went out and I had this race where for whatever reason I had so much fun and I don't know like if it was the reality of what I was doing or what it was, but I finished the race, uh, laid, you know, just collapsed on the ground in exhaustion. And I just was, I was so proud of myself for 
giving it all that day. Once again, I kind of fought with my skis a bit and it didn't work out as I had hoped. And um, I laid on the ground. I was just so, so happy about what I was doing. I'm like, this is so fun. Like I'm giving everything that I can in this pursuit of a dream. And, you know, it's either going to happen or it's not. And probably realistically, there are going to be three people on this day that really feel like it happened of the 90 people that are starting the race. And on that day, I just decided that I was really happy with where it was. Um, and then following that, we had some relay events coming up and our team, our four by five kilometer team event didn't go quite as we had hoped. We were, we were shooting for a medal that day. And so again, we kind of bonded together on that, but um, it was really cool because to stand on the start line and know that you really are fighting for something like, once again, as I was saying, it's no longer a dream, it's a goal. Um, it's really empowering to do that with a, with a group of people because it kind of speaks about um, the whole, the strength of a group of people you're working together with something for. Um, so that was really cool. And then the final team event uh, was something that I had been dreaming of being part of, the Teams for an event. Um, and when they named the team, I just, you know, it was between Keegan and I, and it was, it was definitely a really hard situation to not be named because I, I truly believed I had belonged on that team. Um, and then to have that moment come through where those girls won, where they won the gold medal, it was one of those moments. It was like one of the more empowering experiences ever because I knew I was part of it. Um, I knew I had helped contribute to these girls getting to this level and achieving this dream, but it was kind of a little bit hard on the other side because I knew I was, it was so close to being me right there, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was, it was definitely a really, uh, one of the more challenging moments. Well, certainly the most challenging moment of the games. Um, and then, but it was kind of cool because at the same time it made me, it kind of broke me down enough to a level to really understand what I value in this sport and why I showed up and why I'm part of this team and how cool it is to put yourself so close to the fire with the chance of burning. You know, you're never mm -hmm. in control. You're going to give every, everything you can and some days it's going to work and some days it's not going to work, but the pursuit of it and the risk you take of, you know, just putting yourself out there. It's one of the more empowering and incredible things in sport. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is an incredible story. Obviously, unfortunate um you couldn't be a part of that team. They did end up as you said winning um and it was a yeah. it was a pretty crazy race. I do remember that one. So, um yeah. you know, it, it it's it's unfortunate from one side, but also as you said, it's empowering from the other. So, it's important yeah. to remember. Um so yeah, congratulations again. I mean, let let's be honest. Um as I said before, not many people get to go to one games. Um <laughs> even less people get to go to two. Um and and you know, so hopefully you know, you understand that and realize that and it's incredible, but something tells me we're shooting for one more, right? <laughs> something tells me that I, I haven't yet gotten what I came All right. For, so All right. No, we'll see. We'll <laughs> no see. promises, so, but we'll no see. No promises, but you're going to be gunning for it. I expect that. So <laughs> 2022, obviously now it's, we're back to the beginning, um, essentially, yeah. um, got another four years, three, three and change now. Um, is that a realistic dream um, or a realistic goal? Because we realized, hey, you've been there, so you can make it another goal. And what do you have to do to make sure that you get there considering you'll be four years older, four years wiser, four years smarter, with more knowledge, better technique? How does, how does that fit into the plans moving forward? Yeah, I do think it is really exciting that 2022 is still on the plate and a medal is still 
a realistic and totally achievable goal once again in both team events and individual events. Um, in order to get there, it's it's going to be the kind of similar to the last four years, but also different. Um, a lot of the older girls on our team have retired, so it's a new group of girls. And what I've discovered is team is a huge part of where I have gotten and all these girls have gotten. So it's kind of fun. I'm transforming into a new role on my team. I guess I'm more of like the the mother, the, mm -hmm. the, before it was always me like chasing everyone. Now it's the younger girls chasing uh, several of us that are still around. And so, you know, I'm really excited about the new challenge of having, I guess, a new group of girls involved. I definitely, you know, after this Olympic year, I, I wasn't sure where I was getting my motivation from anymore because I had really fought for this goal that I had been working for for four years and hadn't necessarily achieved it. Despite the fact I had like, the most amazing year and achieved so much you know i had four individual podiums like that's a huge step but olympics is something that it's a goal that stands a little bit higher um so i kind of had this moment this spring to figure out you know what is still motivating me do i still want to do this and one of the things that was the most motivating is um this young group of girls that's actually coming into our level right now and it reminds me of the girl i was six years ago and it's, it's so fun for me to watch these girls who seem to me like they're, you know, 10 steps ahead of where I was at that age. And to see them learning all these same lessons and to help kind of guide them through the process. I just love it. I really like that position and it's super fun for me. And it also further motivates me more than I would have expected and thought. And so, um, you know, to get that next step, I think we have to keep that team atmosphere alive and that motivation and excitement alive. And also, you know, just work every single day. It's hard to put a finger on four years and 365 days in each of those years. Like that's a lot of days to be super committed to this one goal and making all these um, sacrifices for this specific goal. But I do, you know, I love the pursuit of um, trying to be the best in the world. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what also our, our nation can do, you know, like last games, we won the first ever medal in women's cross country skiing. Like what's the next step? I, I know that there's something more coming. <laughs> love it. And we would love it if you were a part of it. Cause it sounds like, I mean, no one can see you, but you've been saying everything with a smile. So it's clear. Um, you're very <laughs> passionate about it and I'm excited to, uh, to see you up there one more time and see you up there on the podium. I think that'll be pretty cool. So, <laughs> um, thank you for giving us a little bit about that. So kind of want to change gears. Only a couple more, um, questions I have, but, um, before, before we went on, we already spoke. Um, one thing I like to do is ask the athletes about the monetary aspect of their sport, of being an Olympian and really what that means. Obviously, we don't want to know how many dollars you make, but we would just like a good understanding and go as deeper as shallow as you'd like on this, but um, just a good understanding of what it's like. I mean, again, you graduated college, um, you're getting your master's. I don't think you're doing that just for fun. I mean, it's enjoyable to learn, but I don't think you're doing that just for fun. So I guess what are what is it like being a cross-country skier, um, what is it like being an Olympian? What's it like being a female Olympian? And how have you been able to navigate that part of your life? Yeah, so being an athlete is definitely um, very different depending on the sport. Um, traditionally, we I grew up watching uh, the athletes of football and, and baseball and basketball, and you see them and you know that they have lots of, um, you know, sponsorships and um, they're quite famous to be to be exact. Um, so it's definitely different dependent on the sport, but cross country skiing is something that is just, you know, I like to see it as it's just becoming popular in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, 
maybe you go down south and you tell some of your cross-country skier and they don't have no idea what you are. Um, but if you travel maybe further up where there's snow, um, I think that people are starting to discover it's starting to become more popular. That being said, we are certainly not at the level that we are um, having these massive um, sponsorships and uh, you know, we're, we're not signing with Nike and in some of these bigger companies. Um, so it definitely, it definitely leads to maybe one of the things that is more challenging um, in our, in the, on a daily basis. Uh, it's definitely, as you are, get older, it becomes a goal of yours to also have a career. Uh, when you're 20 years old, it's really easy to uh, just know you're on a mission to something and maybe one day it's going to lead to, it's kind of like when you go to school, you know that you're going to pay money to go to school to one day have a career. So it's the same idea in skiing. You're putting in this time working and working to ideally, um, you know, come out with something to work towards the next step in your life. Um, one of the things that I had to do at a young age when I decided to go to Alaska Pacific University, um, I ventured away from the NCAA program, which meant that I, I was no longer on this guaranteed scholarship program. So that kind of opened up the door of taking risk at the time. Um, that meant that I needed to achieve success in my sport in order to A, get scholarship in school, and B, um, you know, get some support to pay for some of the expenses. Um, when you're racing on the World Cup and you're not on the A team, that means you have to come up with $125 a day to live on World Cup. So for five months, that can lead to anywhere around $20,000 for the Whoa. season, yeah. which is a very intimidating number when you're 18 years old and you don't have an income source. Um, I have definitely been really lucky through my whole career and the fact that I have had um, a sponsor that's been able to cover those expenses. Um, that being said, this year I um, know my sponsor is no longer working with me, so I had to kind of start reaching out and looking for more sponsors. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a strange thing because I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that as athletes we are not, you know, we don't have these huge sponsorships. We are most, in most instances, we are paying to actually race at this level, not getting paid. Um, it's not a government-supported um, thing to represent the United States. Uh, and we, as athletes, are covering the expenses to represent the United States. So um, it's kind of a skill that you have to learn in order to be in this, in this sport, is to be able to go to businesses and kind of speak with them, tell them what kind of value as an athlete we can present to them in exchange for their support, their sponsorship, their ability to make a career. Um, I think it's safe to say that most athletes in the United States in cross-country skiing are living below the poverty line, which is really funny. Um, but we are really lucky that we have, um, you know, people that are supporting us, friends that are supporting us, families that are supporting us, businesses. Um, it's sometimes challenging, but I've always thought that in a way it makes it more unique. I think that having to explain to others why you think you're going to do well makes you really believe in it more. It makes you really invested in it. Um, and I think it makes the moments when you do have success almost more rewarding because you got there because of this village that got you there mm -hmm. and you're sharing it. And it's, it's definitely, you know, it's a fun piece. And I definitely, I want to take every moment to say thank you to the people that have gotten us to this point, because it's not any old person that you walk up to and you say, 
hey, I need $10,000 to support me in the, in the, in the World Cup. Do you want to be part of it? You know, there's so many people out there that are asking for money and asking for support. And so I think as cross-country community, we're super thankful to the people that do sign on. But I also look forward to kind of spreading the word a little bit more to let people know that, in fact, we are often not being paid lots of money and we're not making careers yet. And so I think um, being part of an athlete's rise to success is certainly um, a really rewarding thing. And I hope that one day I'm able to give back to some athlete that's in the same situation. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a little explanation of it. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I'm sure we could go extremely deep onto that topic. Um, it's very uh, frustrating from my standpoint, as you said, I mean, paying to represent the United States just sounds kind of like a, uh, oxymoron. Like it sounds a little backwards to me. So hopefully, uh, yeah. one of these days we can figure it out a little bit and get everything kind of balanced in my opinion. But thank you for that. I sincerely appreciate you, you letting us in and really giving us an understanding. And thank you to all the people that did donate, um, and, and did give their money and their time and their service to you as well as some of the other members of the cross country team, really just anyone in team USA that needs the help, uh, so that you guys can represent us on the highest stage and show, um, show the world what we got. So thank you for that. I do appreciate it. Um, one last question for me. Um, as we said, graduated on your master's degree. What's what's next? I mean, obviously, 2022 is quote unquote around the corner. So that's that's what we're gunning for first. But as we yeah. talked about, athletes' careers, um, it's an understood it's it's understood that they do come to an end earlier than like me, where I could probably work till 70 or 80 doing what I'm doing. So. Mm -hmm. Tell us about, I guess, what, what some of the next steps are for Sadie and what, um, what you're thinking about doing um, moving forward. Yeah, it's really funny. Like we, we always speak about um, when we exit sport, we say we retire, which I always think that's really funny because we are not used to hearing retirement unless it's like our, our grandfather mm -hmm, or, you mm -hmm. know, like yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not traditional. It's not traditional. So I guess after I retire from cross-country skiing, and take on my next career. Um, I'm not entirely sure what I want to do. I have my undergrad in accounting and also nonprofit. Um, I do really love the nonprofit world just because of the, the focus and the motivation. And I think it's really neat and maybe even similar to, I guess, how I approach it as an athlete. Um, I also have this really strange obsession with accounting. When I was a kid, I used to collect the little sheets that came out of the back of my parents' fax machine and I'd write them down in little columns and like add them up and stuff. And so like when most kids were playing house, I was playing accountant, which I guess it's in my blood to like really love that. I don't know what it is. You either love it or you hate it. <laughs> I'm hate in the it. love category. I'm in the hate category and I'm sure a lot more people, no offense, are probably in the hate category than love <laughs> category, but that's why we need people like you on this earth, Sadie. So thank yeah. you. We appreciate that too. <laughs> so I, I imagine I'm going to go into that field um, in some capacity. I cannot fathom the idea of sitting in front of a desk every day, even though I know that that's reality and I will have to do that. Um, I will definitely try to find some way to maybe do my accounting um, somewhere indoors and outdoors. That's my dream. I don't know how it exists, but that's my dream. Um, <laughs> All you need is the internet. You can do anything anywhere at this point in time. All you need yeah. is the So I guess it would be totally my, I've thought a lot about what my dream job would be. Um, and I kind of love the idea of being sort of somebody that I guess is more of a problem solver. So when businesses maybe have 
struggles. They're going under, they can't figure out how they're losing money. Where is it going? Where's the black hole? Um, I want to be the person they come to and they say, how do we get back on our feet? What do we do? Um, that's kind of my dream job. Sorry, my dream job. That being said, I definitely know that I will have to put in a lot of work um, getting some experience. And I actually am really excited for that part. I'm excited to kind of go to the bottom of the food chain, have, you know, uh, my boss who's yelling at me, telling me what to do. I think it sounds really fun to go there and just learn a ton and absorb a ton. And then um, I guess like when I started skiing, you know, seeing showing up at my very first international experience and being so intimidated and knowing there was nowhere to go but up I kind of look forward to going to that place in the job world so that I can gradually get better at what I'm doing and really feel like I'm doing the best job and you know in the industry and I think that it's exciting to approach it like I have with skiing and have the thrill of having goals and um, you know maybe a mean coach or whatever and like just approach it the same way <laughs> I love it. That's such a great mindset. Um, hopefully your boss doesn't yell at you too much. Hopefully you will be able to sit outside occasionally. Um, the dream job part, I, that totally exists. And if it doesn't, you can create yeah. it. That part's easy. Now, again, all you need is the internet at this point. Um, but yes, yeah, Sadie, I love that. And I'm glad you do have some things you're looking forward to after. And uh, we'll hopefully, um, we'll be rooting for you. We promise you that. So one more time, Sadie Bjornsson. Yep. Got it. USA Ski Team Cross Country, two-time Olympian third one might be coming up in a couple of years so we'll watch <laughs> out um and potential accountant watch out everybody sadie's coming for you so sadie thank you so much for your time sincerely appreciate it yeah thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of our athletes with sadie bjornson as i said two-time olympian incredible person has such a great personality she was super adorable getting to talk to her i absolutely loved it really really great conversation and really i couldn't really ask for much more than that. So if you guys don't mind, please follow Sadie on all of her socials because it's very interesting. She takes some absolutely gorgeous pictures. Um, follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter. Um, check out the website, www.ourathletes.us, and make sure to like, review, subscribe, comment, share, do anything you got to do to push this out and make sure more people can hear what our Olympic athletes are going through. So with, other than that, thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs>